praise God. Second Kings chapter 5, um, Pastor Ruby's asking if you guys can please scoot in. Uh, they're already packed all the way to the back, and they are trying not to open up the overflow room. And so <clears throat> this usually gets announced and nobody moves. Let's go ahead and scoot in, please. Let's scoot in. The sides, can you scoot in? Scoot in, scoot in. Everybody, pastor, disciple, from the highest to the lowest. We're all the lowest here. Pastor Ruby's, uh, uh, come on. You guys ain't moving. That's called rebellion. Okay, thank you guys. Okay. They always want me to be the bad guy. I don't know why. I think it has something to do with the face. Well, I'm going to preach a real nice uh, sermon, real sweet, flowery. It's going to make everybody really happy. Amen. You're going to feel like you're at Joel Osteen's church. Yeah, all right. <laughs> Second, <laughs> Second Kings chapter 5. Uh, Pastor Cluck last night preached one part of my sermon and then uh, Wade just stepped all over the rest of it. So um, I leaned over to my wife. I said, I'm going to have to change my sermon. She says, no, I don't remember anything Wade said anyways. <laughs> I'm playing. She didn't say that. Amen. <clears throat> I remember everything he said. It's written right here. Amen. So. 2 Kings chapter 5, I want to preach a sermon I've entitled, uh, The Idol of Success. The Idol of Success. It says, And Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great and exalted man with his master, because Jehovah had given him deliverance to Syria by him. He was also a mighty man, but a leper. And the Syrians had gone out by companies and captured a little girl out of the land of Israel. And she waited on Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, I wish my Lord were with the prophet in Samaria, for he would recover him from leprosy. And one went and told his Lord, saying, this, this and this, said the girl from the land of Israel. The king of Syria said, Go, go in, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. And he departed and took with him ten talents of silver and six thousand of gold and ten changes of clothing. And he came in with a letter to the king of Israel, saying, And now, when this letter has come to you, behold, I have sent Naaman my servant to you, and you shall recover him of his leprosy. In verse 7, And it happened when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes off and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive, that this man sends to me to recover a man from his leprosy? For consider now, and see, for he is coiling himself towards me. And it happened when Elijah, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes. He sent to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him now come to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. Naaman came with his horses and with his chariot and stood at the door of the house of Elijah. And Elijah sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times. And your flesh shall come to you, and you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry and went away. And he said, Behold, I said within myself, He will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of Jehovah his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. Are not Abana and Parpar rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? And he turned and went away in rage. Verse 13, And his servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to go and do a great thing, would you not have done it? How much rather then, when he says to you, Wash and clean. That was already the third servant that had spoken to him. And he went down and dipped seven times in the Jordan, and according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh came again like the flesh of a little boy, and he was clean. Father, we come before you, Lord, this morning, God. We ask, God, that you would, Father, help us, God, the Lord, 
Lord, I pray, God, in the area, God, of Father's success, God, and idolatry, God, in the area, God, um, Lord, of materialism, God, and putting things before the will of God. Help us, God, to be a people that are risk takers, God, willing, God, to lay it all, God, at the foot of the cross. In Jesus' name we pray. God's people said, amen. I want to preach this sermon. I'm aiming uh, at, uh, at challenging men to want to wanna go overseas. But it's going to have in here enough uh, for everybody, amen, disciples and couples. Um, and so I'm trusting that God's going to minister to you this morning. Um, but I figured as I was praying, God, what do you want me to speak? Um, and he told me, you're going to be the last voice that they're going to hear before the night service and people get sinned out. And so I want you to challenge them to go out into the outer parts of the world. Um, Andrea uh, Williams. You might have heard of him, you might have not. Um, can you lower my monitors a little bit? He, uh, I got to meet this guy. He's, uh, I just did a revival a couple of weeks ago in Gene LaValle's church, Pastor LaValle. And uh, he's actually coming to his church. He is an Olympic runner. He won gold medal in 2007 in the Pan Am Games. He won silver in the World Championship Games in 2005. He won silver uh, in, uh, in 2008. He came in third place uh, in the Beijing uh, uh, Olympics uh, there in Beijing in China. And, uh, and so this guy uh, uh, is incredibly successful. He's uh, uh, in 2008. Uh, uh, the, the 400 was the most watched event in the Olympics. The entire world was watching this back in 2008. And so, you know, I'm, I'm curious, man. I'm asking the guy, I said, wow, that must have been intense. The whole, the whole world is watching. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, this must be uh, incredible to, to reach that level of, of success in your life at such a young age. Um, I said, what did it feel like? And he said, uh, I was miserable. He said, it was the most miserable day of my life. He said, I broke up with my girlfriend that day. I was broke, living in a, in, in a little apartment with no furniture. I had no money for food. I had, he said, in the eyes of the world, I was incredibly successful. He said, to the natural eye, it looked um, like uh, I had it all together. Uh, he said, but inside, um, I was falling apart. I thought about that because here's the greatest day of this guy's life, the day that he has been preparing for. After this, they're going to go and win the gold. Um, and um, he's actually replaced at the end because, uh, um, I don't know why, I, I don't want to make any assumptions, but he's replaced at the end, um, and he's not able to go and win the gold with the rest of the team. Um, but he said, here I had everything that I worked for in life, uh, but inside... Um, I was miserable. I want to look at, first of all, this morning, at the deception of success. Because, uh, you know, this world uh, is uh, infatuated with success. And the reality is that success, uh, uh, if you're not careful, like, like uh, Wade was saying, um, you know, it, doesn't, uh, it, it can deliver nothing but empty promises if it's not managed properly. How many know success can deceive Success doesn't promise happiness. It doesn't, it definitely cannot give you health. It can't bring peace. Some of the most miserable people on the planet are successful, rich people. Here's Naaman. Naaman had wealth. He was incredibly uh, uh, rich. He had power. He had influence with the king. He had everything that the world says should make a person happy, but yet he was a leper. In other words, he was falling apart, literally. He has everything but health. I was thinking about Michael Jackson. Here's this guy, man. I mean, you know, you go, you can watch clips of this guy. Do you know that there was grown men and women that would uh, 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 go on themselves when this guy was in their presence? I mean, that's incredible power. You can make somebody, you know, go on themselves. <laughs> but yet he needed anesthesia to sleep. He had his own Disney park. He had fame, he had fortune. 
Success has become the, the idol of America now. People are obsessed with success, with becoming rich and famous. But success doesn't deliver happiness. Success doesn't complete you or fill the void in your heart. Usually it leaves you wanting more. I was thinking about Michael Vick, man. Here's this guy, a $100 million contract. And he loses it to dogfights, uh, making petty money. I mean, if all we needed was money and success to be happy, then why would this guy forfeit that for a few thousand dollars in fighting dogs? See, what's sad, beloved, is that what is true for the world many times is also true for the church. That we live in a generation of churches that are now beginning to worship success. Paul Stevens, you know, I remember doing my first revival there for him, and I'm looking at his church, and I'm, you know, I just come from the parking lot. There's brand new cars everywhere. And, uh, I mean, beautiful church. He had just uh, got in that building and just finished remodeling it. And, uh, and I'm looking out and on. I said, man, Pastor, I'm blown away at how blessed these people are. And he turned to me. He says, you know what? It's one of the, if, if you're not careful, it can plague your church. He says, because there was a time when the spirit of the El Paso church was men wanting to get sinned out. Now all they want is big houses with swimming pools and big carts. It's amazing. You know, I think about that. But disciples today have a lot more than me and my wife had when we were young disciples. When we were newly married. Disciples today start off, they get married, new cars, new houses. They're, they're filled with all kinds. Every room is filled with Renaissance junk. Uh, and I mean, and <laughs> wise, well, we're not going to fellowship until you buy me a brand new uh, living room set and new pots and pans. Uh, they say, you've been married a month. House is full of furniture. You have disciples today to go to Starbucks every day. They're obsessed with gadgets and stuff and success. No longer are men obsessed with ministry. No longer are men contending to get sent out. No longer are men wanting to break a nation. Everyone wants a big house now, cars. And like the people of the world, um, they're miserable. Because you cannot replace the will of God with success. You cannot fill that void that God puts in your heart, that yearning for nations or a city or to be in a ministry in your church. When we were young disciples, man, the only thing that mattered was getting sent out. We didn't care about buying houses. Even, even if we could afford to buy a house, we wouldn't have done it. We didn't want to be tied down. We thought we were getting sent out every conference. <laughs> All we wanted to do was the work of an evangelist. We didn't care about houses and new cars. We fellowshiped at home. You know what we did? We would pitch in. You know what, Corey, you bring the beans, man. Miguel, you bring the tortillas, uh, and uh, I'll bring the fideo. And we fellowshiped at home, man. <laughs> We stayed up till 2 o'clock in the morning arguing with Yolanda Garza playing, video, uh, playing uh, card games. <laughs> Me and Yolanda would go at it, man, in Pictionary. <laughs> We'd go straight from, from, from playing card games and fellowshipping to work or to prayer then work. Today, disciples want to go out and eat. You know what my wife did? My wife cooked because that's what women are supposed to do. They're supposed to cook. And I hope that bothered some women here because you need to learn from these women. I don't want to do anything. Well, then get out of ministry. You don't want to, you don't like people. You don't like your church. You don't want to fellowship. You don't like to cook. What do you like to do? <laughs> How do you think that fits into ministry? 
My wife cooked. It's a myth that pretty women don't cook. That's a lie. Mine cooked all the time. I don't want nobody over my home because this is my space, my privacy, and, and this is the only place that I find refuge. <laughs> you know that we didn't start going out to restaurants so that till we were married 13 years? My first three years of suits came from Goodwill. From thrift stores, disciple. My wife would go shopping at garage sales and bring me suits. They stunk like mothballs and old men, but I wore them. <laughs> Most of our furniture was hand-me-downs. You know what? I had an awesome mother-in-law that felt sorry for me. She'd buy us stuff. <laughs> My boys, man, all their clothes came from garage sales. Even as teenagers. My daughter is the only one that has gotten any kind of new stuff because when she was a baby, my, her, her grandma has bought her all her clothes. Today, we want to shop at Dillard's, man. We want to, and, and, and somehow you want me to believe that you want to get sent out? You want to pull up to church in the 2013 and say, yeah, pastor, I want to preach? And then you want to get sent out and you don't make it because you're in debt. And then you want to call home and say, man, uh, the fellowship doesn't work. We're not making it. Well, of course you're not making it, man. I didn't get a brand new vehicle till I was 42 years old. Oh yeah, Roman's lost his mind, man. He's got a brand new truck now. I waited almost 20 years to get something brand new. I wanted a pastor. I wanted to evangelize. I wanted to make impact in the world. I wanted to go to the nations. That success has gotten to Roman. Like Pastor Klug said, if you don't know the story, <laughs> shut it. I remember being in Bolivia, and this guy comes, a missionary from Mexico, and, oh, you're not a real missionary. You know, you brought all your stuff, and you're not a real missionary, man. Real missionaries don't live up there. They live down there with the people. And I said, that's easy for you to say. You come from Mexico. You don't have anything. <laughs> it's easy for people that don't have anything to say, oh, man, look at them. They're all, uh -uh. No, we learn. We did God's will first, way before we bought anything new for ourselves. Disciples look at that today. They look at marriages uh, and pillars in our churches that have been there for 20, 25 years, have nice houses, brand new cars, and they think, hey, I want to start like that. People are obsessed with success today. Problem is like the world, you're gonna want more and more. And you're gonna wake up and realize one day that your heart is leprous. Trying to fill that void in your heart with more things. No longer wanting to do the will of God, no longer contending to win a city or a nation or becoming door director. Whatever happened to the spirit of the door director? got to beg men to be door directors now. Pastor, if you got to beg someone to be a door director, then you don't need a door director. Oh, we got to have it because that's how fellowship does it. No, the fellowship does it the other way. We disciple men and they have to have a spirit, a certain spirit. We just make, you know, door directors because they have tattoos.
Now, let me say something here in the area of success because success has many faces. I don't want you to think this is only for the rich and famous. First of all, you live in America. You're already successful the moment you're born. Success has many levels. You can have a great job right now. You might have an outstanding marriage. You might have a, a, a very gift, uh, a gifting for evangelism and and, and you might have disciples in your church. I was talking to a few brothers going this over, and they said, well, what, what do you mean by success? You know, I don't think I'm successful. I said, you know what, if, you, if you've gone out and, and you, you, you broke a city and you were able to get off support immediately and build a church, then you're extremely successful. You've done what a lot of men can't do. See, the problem with success is like the world, you're going to want more. You know, I've gone for guys with good churches. They have disciples, they have finances, they, you know, they, they, they have good couples, good people, man, and, and, but yet they want more. It's just more, it's just more, it's just got to be more. And, and, and believe me, there's nothing wrong with wanting more. We, everybody wants to, but that can't be the only thing that you're focused on. You dismiss, you neglect your church, and you make them feel horrible because uh, you're not at a certain level already. I should already have 200 people. Well, because of you, I can't be successful. It's because of the way we sing the songs here. <laughs> you guys sing them all wrong. See, the guys that take over churches, they change all the songs. It's like, which church sings them right? We took over McAllen, and, and, and when I first got there, I felt all the songs were wrong. <laughs> all words are different. I'm worshiping. Greg Mitchell was there, and we're worshiping. He's singing. He sings wrong. I said, I'm sorry, man. They changed so many songs here. He says, I know. I wrote that song. <laughs> he said, it doesn't sound anything like it. It's missing words. You know what me and my wife figured out? Much easier for me and her to learn new songs than to try to get 400 people to change the way that they've already been singing it for years. It's called ego. And I don't even know why I'm preaching that. It has nothing to do with my sermon. <laughs> Guys are all wrong. Everything's wrong here. You know, we should have more. It should be more. I mean, no, if, you, if you can't find... Happiness with what God's giving you already, He's not going to give you more. Meet people, every church they go to, every city they go to, it's bad. All the people are bad. Everybody's bad. It's, it's just messed up. Everybody's messed up. Everybody's lazy. Nobody wants to do anything. And you look at their lives, and it's like, okay, the apple does not fall far from the tree. <laughs> you want people to do what you don't do. And, you know, I truly believe that there is a void in their heart. I don't think it's so much that they need more there. See, you might be successful on the outside, but because of your addiction with success, you, you can alienate yourself from God. You begin to make success, success an idol. You know, God gives the children of Israel gold when they leave. They've been slaves. They've never had anything. And, and the moment they get gold, it gets to their head. And what do they do? They build a golden calf, and they worship the little bit of success that God has given them. God, we don't need you no more. We have gold and freedom now. See, if you're not careful, security and success can become an idol in your life. You're not willing to let them go in fear of failure, so instead you begin to worship your security. One of the biggest signs that success has become an idol in your life is that you fear. You begin to think about 
being without your success, without people acknowledging who you are. You don't want to venture. You don't want to do something new because you might fail. Pastor, I've seen guys go out greater than me, and, they've, and, and, and they didn't make it. And so now you're gripped with fear. You begin to avoid risk. You're no longer a risk taker because the deception of success is that you're supposed to be happy. And uh, in order to keep being happy, then all you need is more. If I only had more money, more disciples, more people, then I would be happy. See, but what if God doesn't want you to have more? What if God wants you to have less? What if the reason you're feeling miserable is because God's making you miserable? Maybe he wants you to lay your success down and trust him with your life. Disciples, what if he wants you to work less hours? So you can be more available for your pastor and your church. Amazing how everybody has internet on their smartphone and, 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 and they don't use it for anything other than to watch porn and YouTube. Wives, what if God wants you to quit your job? <laughs> I felt that one, man. <laughs> you know, I'm going to say this as a side note, and it has nothing to do with Pastor Ruby. This is what he taught us. I'm sure he still preaches the same. Uh, I'm not into my pastor's wives working. Usually, the case is that they're frustrated or bitter at, at the ministry, and so they want to give their energy to something else. Can't, you, you cannot, your, your wife cannot work a job all day long and come out, and, and you expect her to, 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 to build a church with you. I know there's exceptions to the rule and all this stuff, but you'd be amazed how many pastor's wives are trying to work today. I don't care if you get mad at me right now. <laughs> get people all the time that ask us, well, what do we say? You know, you got all these different people. I go to California, I go here, and, you know, what do you say? It's, hey, tell them that you have uh, such an awesome husband that he provides for you. That he figured out life. He's, he's tied in his belt. That he's focused on the ministry. about pastors leaving their cities to go to nations maybe God's not going to give you more there bro maybe the next guy that's going to come is going to have more that has to be okay with us you know that Abraham's ultimate breakthrough was his son this is what he'd been waiting for And the moment that he gets it, he has to place his Isaac, his success, on the altar. I mean, think about it. This is what he's dreamed for. This, this is what he's been praying for. Angels have visited him. And he finally gets it, and God says, now I want it. Not because God doesn't want you to be happy and doesn't want you to have things and have success but because he wants to be God. Can God speak to you in this conference? Can you lay your Isaac at the altar? Maybe you're a pastor. You know, Wade touched on this. Maybe you're a pastor who's not willing to lay your Isaac at the altar, your, your main disciple. I don't want to send him out, man, because then, you know, who's, he, he's my main tither. He's the one that outreaches. He's the one that follows up, man. Then I'd have to actually get, uh, uh, I'd have to actually start doing something. Imagine that. 
pastor that actually works. And I'm not talking about, you know, you doing song service again. You know, you'd probably lose half your congregation. I know I would if I did song service. <laughs> That's not what I'm talking about. But, you know, if you're not willing to lay your best, God doesn't want some mediocre uh, uh, disciple with, with spots and blemish. And, uh, he wants your best. The best has always been for God, not for us. You know what happens when you don't put your best at the altar? It rots. It becomes leprous. You'll frustrate that disciple. Why? Because God has put a void in his heart, just like in yours, a passion, just like yours. If he's not doing the full will of God, then he's going to fill his heart with something else. And anything else is going to bring leprosy. I want to talk secondly about leprosy. You know, uh, uh, here Naaman's a walking dead man. You know what leprosy is? The first thing that, that, that happens to a, a leprous person is that they lose their nerve system. They become numb. They lose their feelings. And that's true for, for discipleship. It's true, beloved, for churches. Um, it's something happens in the process um, to a person when they substitute the will of God for success. You become numb. You can sit in a conference like this. It's flying right over you. Gene LaValle was telling me about a man in India who had leprosy and he fell asleep. And when he woke up, he didn't have any fingers. The rats had eaten all of his fingers. He didn't feel it. He's losing body parts and he doesn't even know it. You know, a lot of people are asleep in the kingdom of God and they wake up um, and uh, things are missing in their lives. Anointing is gone. Conviction is gone. Fruitfulness is gone. Fear and reverence. You no longer respect your pastor. Now all you do is talk about him. You can't be moved. You become numb and complacent. See, living for God this way will frustrate you. See, why does Naaman listen to this little girl? You want to know why? Because he's desperate. But God has brought him to this place. God gives him this incredible victory against Syria. And no doubt he's enjoying that for a moment. But then now, you see, now he can't do anything else in life until he gets healed. I guess the second question would be, why did Naaman wait until he was leprous? Why do men wait until they're falling apart before they respond? See, God creates... A void in our heart when we're sinners. Can you say amen? We know something's missing. And we get it right. But can I tell you that also he'll create one in the kingdom? All he wants Naaman to do is to humble himself. Three servants speak to him. I mean, oh, God's desperately trying to get a hold of this guy. And then they're all, at all different levels. Why? Because, well, I can't receive from that person, uh, you know, I don't, you know, like Pastor Ruby said, I know too much about them, you know, so I can't, okay, well, then let me bring you somebody, well, yeah, you know, but he's too proud, you know, and so I can't, I can't receive from him either, you know, and so, you know, I, okay, well, let's bring Pastor Ruby, well, well, Pastor Ruby knows too much about me, you know, and so he's <laughs> preaching directly at me, I mean, it's obvious. Who the heck can you hear from? What's amazing is he hears from three servants, but he still wants to do it his own way. <laughs> Our text says that he goes to the king. 
that's a picture of, of, of us going to our pastor. I remember when I was wanting to go overseas, and he says, okay, where do you want to go? I said, I don't know, spin the globe. He says, no, nah, I ain't doing that. <laughs> Send you to some place, and you know. Doesn't work out, you're going to come back. <laughs> no, you tell me where you want to go. Unless the pastor tells me, you know, unless, you know. It's amazing how we're willing to go everywhere but to God. Then we hear from God. And how many know you can hear from God and still not do what he wants you to do? Can you say Jonah? You know, it's interesting. The Bible says that uh, uh, Naaman goes to Elijah thinking, you know, because here in, in his, in his uh, where he's from, he's respected. Everybody bows down to him. Even the king respects him. Comes to Elijah. Elijah won't even come to the door. Elijah won't even answer his phone. <laughs> he thinks the prophet's going to come. He says, hey, man, I thought he was going to come out and, 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 and worship me, man. I mean, doesn't he know who I am? And he sends a servant. Isn't it amazing how we're always stars in our own movies. <laughs> and you get in Pastor Ruby's presence and, and you remember how small you are. You know that President Bush, when, when he had Rush Limbaugh come to uh, uh, Limbaugh, Limbaugh, whatever, uh, he had him come to the, to the White House. You know that he flew him in in the White House helicopter? And you know what he did when, 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 when Rush got there? He rushed to him. And, uh, and, and he grabbed his suitcase and carried it for him. Now, now, this is the president of the United States. And what he was doing was he was showing him some respect. How many of us, the highest level of respect you can get is the President of the United States? Let me ask you a question. Man respects you, but does God? Oh, you got peers, you have friends, you have your little crowd, they all rah-rah for you, but... <laughs> How does God feel about what you're doing? Because man sees the outward, the success... But God sees the inward. So then the question would be, are you really successful in the eyes of God? God says, I want you to go to the Jordan. But he doesn't want to go to the Jordan. He wants to go to Damascus. He wants to go to Parpar. Jonah said, I don't want to go. I want to go over here. God told Elijah to go to the brook and that it was right there where he was going to get fed. Why? Because doing the will of God has to do with the specific place. And we don't get to pick it. So then why not the Jordan? Well, because the Jordan's filthy. The Jordan's inconvenient. It's a strange land. Remember, he's from. You know, we're not careful. We come to conference and we say, you know what? I don't want to go to Jordan. I want to go to Damascus. I want to go where it's nice and comfortable. God might be calling you to China. He might be calling you to to a Jordan, to a, another city. If we're not careful, we can be like, like Naaman, but why? why? Why can't I do the will of God here? I mean, I'm still preaching. Isn't that what our parents say when we're going to get sent out? Why can't you just pastor here? <laughs> There's a need here. There's a lot of Mexicans in San Antonio. I mean, why do you got to go? Yeah, I mean, well, yeah. Well, you know what? I would love to pastor here. 
But God said, go to the Jordan. Bolivia was a Jordan. <laughs> Sorry, Manuel, but... <laughs> You know, they're, they're not sanitized. A lot of them don't use uh, toilet paper. And so when you're, when you're training, potty training a kid to use his hand, he doesn't know what to do with it. He's, you know, he's, he's gotten that far, okay, I use my hand. So they come out with it. No, da. Nora. And then they're running against the walls, wiping all. <laughs> One time we were driving home, and my wife, there was this smell, and I said, Did somebody step on something? And my wife's like, No, she got it all on my shirt. <laughs> yeah, I never heard her say stinking people. They're so filthy. I hate them. these people could get it together man these people are so filthy no we understood that God had called us to the Jordan that comes with the Jordan <laughs> I gotta close I wanna look at the Jordan you know the Jordan is symbolic for two things in the Bible it's symbolic for obviously healing because of Naaman gets healed there. And it's also symbolic for a new beginning. You know, Joshua crosses the children of Israel. We know that Elijah picks up the mantle from Elijah at the Jordan. We know that Jesus gets baptized at the Jordan, and then from there he steps into his ministry. It's a place of new beginning. It's a place where the old dies and the new rises. But in order to experience these things, you must yield and humble yourself to the Jordan. The Jordan literally means to descend or to, or to subdue. That's what the word means in Hebrew. It means to go from a high place to a lower place. Damascus was on top, the Jordan was on the bottom. In other words, God is saying, if, if I'm ever going to be able to bless you, if I'm ever going to be able to enlarge you, you're going to have to get off your high horse. You're going to have to come down to where I want you to be. And I'll decide when it's time to lift you up. Well, no, I, I want this first, and then, you know, and then I'll... Two things must happen if you're going to be healed from leprosy first. God has to be able to subdue you. In other words, quit fighting. You know, we say uh, backsliders are the most miserable people in the world. That's not true. People that fight the will of God are the most miserable people in the world and church. And you know what else? They make everybody else miserable in your church. It's like you don't even want people around these people. I, you know, I instruct my people, man. I don't want newcomers hanging around these people. I don't want them anywhere near these people. Do you do that? Heck yeah, I do that. We fight hard for newcomers. We spend thousands of dollars on advertisement and revivals um, to bring them in, and then some convertors all bitter and twisted uh, as fighting God um, is miserable in your church and wants to poison everybody else. You have to surrender. Who cares what river God is asking you to go to? Just go. Second is you have to descend. John the Baptist said, I must decrease so that he can increase. See, how do you become more successful than Naaman? You can, I mean, unless you become the king. In, in the world, he's reached the highest level of success. Well, in the world, that might be true, but with God, there's always room for development. Pastor Ruby 
preach the masterpiece. We can never stop growing. We can never stop going. There's always room for more when it comes to the kingdom of God. Another, the, you know that what the root word for Jordan is? Is the word Yarod. Yarod is frequently used when it comes to dying. And one of the most famous quotes that they, that they use is, I'm going to the Jordan, it's time to descend into my grave. In other words, I'm going to have to die to self. I know what I want to do. I know what I would like to do. But God, nevertheless, your will be done. Jesus put it this way. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it abides alone. But if it dies, it brings forth much fruit. He who loves his life shall lose it. And he who hates his life in this world shall keep it to life eternal. What he's saying, he's saying, you know, that when you surrender your life, you actually leave a legacy. Your life, even though you're not here, could still motivate people. Can you say, Pastor Parker? He was willing to lay his life at an older age. And here we are, man, at conference, and, and, and what an example. See, what are people going to say about you? God forbid something happened to you. If, you. if you died today, what would people say about you? I know Pastor Parker raised an incredible church in Austin. I, I understand that. But how many know, man, he's, he's you know, this China deal is, is, is it's huge. But what are people going to say about us? If we died today, where you're at right now? Our shoes are bitter ministry. Stop being a risk taker. I was going over this sermon or some thoughts with a couple of the disciples Monday morning. And I needed a closing story, and uh, they gave me one. <laughs> so, uh, but I want you to think about that. What will people remember? Are you willing to lay it down? So I haven't seen the movie Troy. I think that's what it's called with Brad Pitt. And uh, so apparently in the movie, this, uh, 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 you know, they're, they're, they're fighting, uh, calling out their biggest, their baddest, and, and, and they release this giant. And so supposedly this thing's huge, it's massive, it's ugly. And he's taunting, and he's calling out the greatest from the other side. And, and so, uh, you know, some, uh, they go up to Troy, and, and they say, hey, they've let out the giant. And this dude is big. He, he's, he's bad. He's ugly. And, and, and he's mean. And, uh, and they look at him, and they say, you know what? He says, uh, if I was you, uh, I wouldn't fight him. And so he says that Troy mounted his horse. And he looks down at the guy and he said, that's why nobody will ever remember your name. Because I don't want to fight the giant. I don't, want, I don't want the Jordan. What about me and you? Will people remember our name? Let's bow our heads.
been a generation of, 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 of disciples that wanted want everything in the beginning. Blown away, man, at, at what I see sometimes. Going out to eat all the time. Going, and in my mind, I'm thinking, you don't want to get sent out. There's no way you want to get sent out. You're not, you're not living. You're not, you're not like, like, like Wade said, you know, learning to run your finances. Disciples think we're going to send them out and support them out there. I tell my guys, you're responsible for your own meals. Two incredible messages this morning. Pastor Perez, amen. Pastor Wade. Began to hear Pastor Wade and he's preaching on success. And I said, man, this is God. God's trying to reach. Speak to people. Can you, can you lay it down? Can God use you to touch a city, to reach a school? do a Bible study and God will use your life to break a nation Brazil has 181 million people and we don't have anybody in there success the idol of this generation. Before I go any further, you're not saved or you're backslidden, you want to pray this morning, I want you to lift your hand if you want me to pray for you. You want to surrender your heart. You're ready to turn from this world and give your life to Jesus Christ. I want you to lift your hand all over this place. Hallelujah. And I want to speak to the church. Is your main goal the will of God? You're living it. Will you be remembered? Are you willing to go to the Jordan? Let's all stand to our feet. These altars are open.